Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Most people desire to live a healthier, happier, and prosperous life. Yet as the years go by, many of us end up at the same place. A ship at sea won't develop barnacles, but a stagnant ship tied to a dock will. Has your life become stagnant with mental barnacles? We have with us special guest Jack Canfield, who spent decades helping people go from where they are to where they want to be. If you want to increase your confidence, overcome obstacles, and live life with passion and purpose, don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is known as America's number one success coach. He's conducted live trainings for over a million people in more than 50 countries around the world. He holds two Guinness World Record titles as a member of the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of Fame. He's the founder of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series and is the author and co-author of more than 200 books, which includes 40 New York Times bestsellers. His books have sold over 500 million copies in 47 languages around the world. In 2015, Success Magazine named him one of the most influential leaders in personal growth and achievement. He was the feature, one of the featured teachers in the movie The Secret, and his media appearances include The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Today Show, Fox and Friends, Larry King Alive, and the CBS Evening News, just to name a few. His national best-selling book, The Success Principles, remains my personal go-to blueprint for taking me from where I am to where I want to be. Welcome to the show, my friend, Jack Canfield. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. You know, those lucky enough to have spent some time with you, we're drawn to your positive and contagious energy. And one thing that really inspires me so much is your perseverance. While Chicken Soup for the Soul became a global success, it originally was turned down by 144 publishers. Now, Jack, that's a lot of naysayers. How were you able to take this rejection and turn it into redirection? Well, I always believed that rejection was just a delayed result and then never, never to take it personally. And I teach all my students so when the world says no, you say next. And so somehow I was living that principle and um, I would have eventually self-published the book. I didn't want to. I really wanted to be an author and a speaker and a trainer, not a publisher and warehousing books and dealing with all that stuff. But um, I was committed to the process. And I think when you have a passion and a strong desire to get a message out to people, and I knew from all the people that I'd shared stories with in my seminars, they had said to me, you know, this story changed my life. Is it in a book anywhere? I want my daughter to read it. I want my sales team to, to, to read this story. So I knew that there was a huge amount of um, interest. It's just that the publishing world didn't really share that because there was no history of short stories, collections of short stories actually doing very well. But I knew in my heart of hearts. And I think if, if you have, you know, you, you look at people like Oprah Winfrey. She was fired from her first job because they said she didn't know how to... Um, to interview anybody. And right. <laughs> uh, the guy, who, Howard Schultz, who started Starbucks, was turned down by 217 investors before he found some people that were willing to underwrite starting Starbucks. Steven Spielberg rejected twice from USC Film School. Michael Jordan cut from his sophomore year in high school from the basketball team. So I think rejection and, and, and you know, is a part of life. And you just have to be willing to, um, to know that you're being tested to uh, see how committed you really are. And I think that's, you know, if, if success were easy, we'd all be thin, we'd all be happy, we'd all be wealthy. I think it takes a little bit more commitment than that. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know in the film The Secret, you introduce millions to the power of visualizing. And share with us an example or two of how you use visualization to get to where you are today. Well, basically, it started way back when, if anyone saw the movie The Secret, I tell the story about how my first mentor, W. Clement Stone, who was worth $600 million, said to me, I, you know, I want you to set a goal that's so big that if you achieve it, it will prove to you that the principles I'm teaching you and the strategy and the techniques I'm teaching you work. And at that time, I was making $8,000 a year. That's eight with three zeros after it. And so I set a goal to make $100,000. And I started visualizing a lifestyle I would lead if I had a $100,000 income. I visualized having a $100,000 balance in my, in my checking account, in my, in my bank. I started, I, I put a $100,000 bill. I, I drew it, a big $100,000 bill, about three feet long and two feet high. And I put it above my bed so every morning I'd wake up, I'd see it. And that would remind me to close my eyes and visualize. In about 30 days, I started to have ideas about how to generate $100,000. And that year, I did not make $100,000, but I did make $92,328. <laughs> and my wife went, uh, do you think it'll work for a million? And I said, well, I don't know. It worked for this. Let's do it. So we put a million-dollar bill on the ceiling. It took a few years longer than that, but I often, when I'm doing a seminar, I'll show I have a check written to me for $1,135,000. And um, so it does work. It's a matter of, of using yeah. it. I, I, I still do it today. We have a goal to have a million people teaching my success principles by the year 2030. And so every day I close my eyes and I visualize uh, a huge international conference where all these people have come together and we've hit that number, kind of like the number you see at the McDonald's, you know, where it says a billion served or whatever. And uh -huh. so I, I keep doing it. And um, right now we have about 3,000 trainers in 117 countries around the world after just a couple wow. of years of working on that goal. That's awesome. I remember reading about starving actor Jim Carrey using that technique, and he wrote himself a $10 million check and dated it five years in the future, and exactly five years later, he made $10 million for Dumb and Dumber. So, I mean, it really, yep. there's, something, there's something to it. I've used it as well. Let me ask you this. One of the uh, success principles that you recommend in your book is to practice gratitude. And in a day and age when so many people focus on what they don't have, how can they shift their attitude to having gratitude for the things they do have? Well, I think attitudes come from two things. Number one, intellectual uh, thinking, if you read a lot of books about it, eventually you get convinced, but I think it's also a practice. You have to, you have to intend to practice it until it becomes a habit. I just read something the other day, uh, I loved it, it said, you know, if you don't know what to be grateful for, be grateful for the problems you don't have. Like, you know, most of us are not starving to death, we don't have cancer, we're not dying from AIDS, and so forth. So a lot of times we, we're, we're jealous because the guy next door has a bigger van or a bigger house, or they went on a, you know, vacation we didn't get to go on whatever but generally I teach people to do you know about five minutes of gratitude every morning there are some people teach that 17 minutes of being in a state of gratitude uh, right. the, the woman who wrote the secret Rhonda Byrne she before she would write the book she would sit and she would basically get focused on everything she was grateful for and she said I wouldn't start writing until I had a tear coming down my face that she knew she was that grateful. And I was just reading about Margot Hemingway, the, the actress, and there was this uh, painter that she wanted to paint a portrait of her. And it was painted so well and captured the essence of her personality. She said she sobbed for 10 minutes. So that we know that there's a level of gratitude that can take you to that place where you're just so grateful you want to cry. And I think that for me, 
it's one of the first things I do in the morning. I do something called the hour of power, which is 30 minutes of meditation ending with visualization and then a gratitude exercise for everything I'm grateful for. And then uh, 20 minutes of uh, exercise and then 20 minutes of reading something important. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I've read your book, uh, The Success Principles, three times, and it's a pretty thick book. So that's a lot of reading. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I always learn something new. The meaning of success differs from person to person. I'm curious, how do you define success for Jack Canfield? I used to, I used to define success as being able to create whatever results you wanted in the world. Uh, Tony Robbins once said success is being able to do whatever you want with whomever you want, wherever you want, as much as you want. And I think I kind of ascribed to that for a while, but then about, I'd say 10 years ago, I redefined success as fulfilling your soul's purpose. So I believe everyone is born with a unique purpose of something they're supposed to do, something they're supposed to express or create into the world. And if you achieve that, it might just be raising three healthy, you know, drug-free children. It might be ending hunger in your town. It might be bringing peace to the Middle East. It might be as simple as, uh, you know, teaching third grade and getting the kids to really understand stuff. But whatever that is, if you follow that passion and, desi- and fulfill that purpose, then you're successful. It could be being a poet in the Mayfair out in the middle of the woods in New Hampshire somewhere writing poetry or it could be someone like me who's written over 200 books it's not a matter of, of, of amplitude or of magnitude it's really a, a matter of is it, is it the thing that brings you the greatest joy that when you do it makes you come alive and that serves other people in some way yeah, that's great. I love interviewing people that are successful and happy. And I interviewed 88-year-old William Shatner, who still films, records albums, lectures, goes horseback riding. And I asked him his secret to living a long and happy life. And he told me, always say yes. Stop using the excuses, I'm too busy, maybe next year after the kids grow up, yada, yada. And you also believe in seizing opportunities. What advice do you have for our listeners that are letting life pass them by? They're on this hamster wheel. Well, first of all, I have to say I saw William Shatner do a one-man show about two years ago, and he was amazing here in Santa Barbara where I live. And I love that idea of doing what brings you the greatest joy and not waiting until until something else has happened. I think people wait around until, like you said, the children are born, until I'm retired, until whatever. So I, I, there's a wonderful book called A Year of Saying Yes by uh, Shonda Rhimes. And, and she, you read that book and you realize every time you say yes to something, especially if it's new, then life is amazing. And so I basically probably say yes a little too much. I think I'm learning to say no a little more often because <laughs> uh-huh. um, you have to have a strong no and a strong yes so you don't end up doing things that are destructive to you, unhealthy to you. Um, they're against your core essence. But at the same right. time, you know, I always tell people you live in a town where there's probably 50 to 1,000 restaurants, depending on the size of your town. And most people eat at the same three restaurants. They order the same food, the same drink, and they drive to work the exact same way every day. And so you want to break out of that habit and, and do things that are new and unusual and different, whether it's some new game you play, different kind of music you listen to, you, you go to different restaurants, you hang out with different people. I love... Lisa Liu, who's got this show called This Is Us, where she goes out and she interviews people that are the exact opposite of who she is, rednecks and Ku Klux Klaners in the South, people that are, you know, the gang members, people that are, um, you know, neo-Nazis, whatever, and really tries to understand them and really listens to them as opposed to always surrounding yourself, whether you're listening to MSNBC or Fox News, depending on which size of the aisle you're on. Most people are not opening themselves to new experiences. They're not traveling. You know, most people in America do not have a passport. 
That's insane when you think about it. Yeah. And so a lot of kids, I, I used to teach high school in an all-black neighborhood. Most kids had never been out of their neighborhood, let alone downtown. And so I think it's important that we do things that are new and that stretch us and grow us. I love that you brought that up because I was uh, someone was asking me uh, the other day, is why am I interviewing people that aren't congruent with my message and my diet plans and my health and my book? And I says, I stay open-minded. I, I want to learn. I, I want to hear the other side because maybe there's something I missed. I'm not perfect. And I, and I, I love keeping my, mm-hmm. my attitude open to that. And I learn so much more than, and I also say, I don't want to interview a bunch of Dr. Friedman's. How boring. <laughs> it's like interviewing myself. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. And let me ask you, you know, you've helped so many people that break through this stagnancy. I, I mentioned that in the beginning of, of the, uh, of the uh, show. And I'm curious if you had to pick the most common excuse, keeping people from getting from where they are to where they want to be, what would it be? What's like the most common? There's probably a few, but have you found one thing that most people gravitate toward? Well, I found several. Number one, uh, it's, it's habits. We talked about that. Most people are a victim of their habits. They just keep doing the same thing over and over. I think the second thing would be ignorance. They're just not aware of what the other options are. They're not looking around. I mean, if you go online and just type in TED or TEDx talks, you could watch over, I don't know, it's probably three or 4,000 talks out there now, everyone by an expert in something that's introducing you to a whole new concept you never heard before. So that's intellectually you can do that. Uh, my wife just did in the last two years has taken a painting class, a memoir writing class, an improvisational theater class, and a singer-songwriter class, all of which were things she'd never done before, and just you know, continually stretching out. I think the other big thing that stops people are limiting beliefs. We all have these beliefs that we adopted somewhere between the age of three and eight years old, and the the, the problem is we had a trauma or a major rejection or, you know, we didn't get the love we wanted. And then we decided things like, I'm not worthy. I can't have what I want. I'll never find anyone like that to love again in my life, whatever it might be. And then we forget we made that decision because we're so young. And so then what happens is we've got this internal five or six or seven or eight-year-old running our life based on these limiting decisions. And then the other big thing is fear. Uh, you know, people are just afraid, afraid of being conned, afraid of loss, afraid of looking foolish, you know, those kind of things. And so you simply have to be willing to choose. My, my wife took this songwriting class and they had to write, out, to write their own song and perform it just uh, two nights ago. And uh, one of the, the um, wonderful, uh, what would you call it, teaching principles of that class was it's okay to suck. <laughs> and like, you know, you don't learn anything new if you don't suck at it first. You know, one of my friends right. says every master was once a disaster. And it's true. You know, I think about the first time I was a psychotherapist for a number of years before I broke out of that. And I, the first session I ever did, I gave the guy his check back. I was so bad. <laughs> like, you know, and I said, okay, you know, you have to do it badly before you can do it well, whether it's singing or learning to dance or, you know, writing your first book, whatever it might be. So give yourself permission not to be perfect. As you get older, you know, kids don't mind that. They're willing to screw up. That's how they learn. Right. But as adults, we, we start to get caught in that perfectionism. We're afraid to make a mistake. And then we, we can't really be learners anymore when we do that. Yeah, I remember one thing I read in your book. Uh, it said, uh, everything you want is on the other side of fear. I love yes. that. And that is so, so true. It really is. And then once you're there, you're like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> well, the thing that most people say is, why didn't I do that sooner? You know, sooner, why yeah. didn't I 
take that trip or get out of that relationship or write that book or make that request or do that investment sooner because you realize at some point it's like, oh my God, you know, this is so much better than I ever thought it would be. But you have to get to the other side of it. Now, some people get consumed with what the Joneses are doing. I had a patient ask me yesterday if I was worried about all the competition in town. And I told her the only competition I have is the reflection I see in the mirror each morning. I strive to be a better person today than I was yesterday. What are your thoughts on people looking for greener grass on the other side instead of watering the grass in their own yard? Well, that's a good question. I think that, you know, people are, you know, it's a, it's a natural tendency we seem to have to compare ourselves to other people. Um, I remember even I, I, one of the things I share in my seminar is a quote from Robert Redford that said he'd just been out to dinner with um, Paul Newman. And he said, my God, here's old Paul. He's, um, I don't know, about 75 at the time. Looks like he did when he was 20, makes a movie when he wants to, drives sports cars, contributes to great causes through his Paul Newman charities and the, 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 the salad dressings he makes and all that stuff. And he said, he looks the way, he said, by the time we got home, I wanted to shoot myself. You know, and this is Paul, this is Robert Redford, arguably one of the more handsome men that ever lived. And uh, so we have that tendency to do it and to think that what other people have is better. But what I've discovered, everyone I've ever been jealous of in my life or envious of, perhaps a better term, uh, I later, later learned that some of them were envious of me. They had problems I wasn't aware of. You know, often you think, God, I'd do anything to have that guy's hair. But what you don't realize is his prostate cancer comes with that hair. You know? So yeah. the reality yeah. is that uh, I think we're all meant to be who we are. We all have beautiful talents, beautiful skills, inner, to inner beauty. And just to own that and to be who we want to be, to pursue the things that make us happy and to know that we're worthy of love and to um, just give ourselves permission to be fully who we are. If we do that, joy comes. I think too many yeah. people think that... Um, that it's out there somewhere else, but it's really inside of ourselves. You know, one of the things that I've experienced recently, I had a major transformational breakthrough about, oh, about, oh, about a month ago. And I really learned about some of my limiting decisions I made when I was in that three-year-old to eight-year-old period. And as a result of that, I started asking more for what I wanted. I stopped comparing myself to anybody. I, I gave up all shame, blame, and, and, and guilt about anything I'd ever done because I realized it was all perfect. And with no striving, more and more stuff has come to me. I just got a request yesterday for a $300,000 engagement to do a five-city tour of Canada from someone I never heard of before, something I didn't promote, something I didn't reach out to, didn't try to manipulate anybody. And that kind of thing is happening more and more more to me in the last month than almost in my entire life. And I, I really credit it to giving up any belief that I'm not perfect the way I am. Wow. That's, that's exciting. You know, we talked about the, in the beginning of the show, 144 uh, publishers uh, said Chicken Soup for the Soul wasn't good enough, and it turned into 250 books. I'm curious, is there one that's a particular your favorite that you consider, you know, one of your favorites of all those 250, or can you not choose your favorite son I, or daughter? No, we all have our favorite children. We lie when we tell <laughs> we, when we say we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we never tell them that, but, but the fact is we do. But for me, I, I would have to say it's still the first book because that first book was the result of 20 years of my life collecting stories and sharing them over and over with people in my seminars. And I think it's still, you know, it, it's, it's the most powerful. If I had to pick a few more, I think 
Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover Soul was really a great book. Chicken Soup for the Teacher Soul, since I was a high school teacher for a number of uh, years, uh, means a lot to me. Chicken Soup for the Writer Soul, because I'm a writer. Um, right. I would say those were ones. And then obviously Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul, which was the first niche book we did. And uh, because so many of our readers today are women uh, and women are more vulnerable in general than men, it um, is a really sweet book of a lot of great right. stories as well. Is, is, I'm curious, is there one that surprised you and became a, a bestseller and you almost didn't want to publish it? Like, is, I don't know, is there a chicken soup for the car mechanic soul or one that really shocked you that became a hit? I did not expect Pelover Soul to do well. Back when it was proposed to me by uh, one of my staff and a, and a, and a, a veterinarian, uh-huh. I thought, come on, guys, get real. And then I did some research and found that there's actually more pets in America than there are people. There's about 2.5 pets for every human being living in America. <laughs> and so that book sold 8 million copies in its first year, which wow. just blew me away. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, would, I would not have predicted that at all. The one that, one that didn't do the, the very well, and this is, a, I think, just a marketing concept. We did, we did well with two books that didn't do well. One was Chicken Soup for the Single Soul. And what uh-huh. we realized was some people choose to be single. Some people are divorced and not happy about it. Some people are single and want to be married but aren't. And then some people are widowed. So you're really four different groups. And we didn't really understand that until it was a little too late. Then we did a book called Chicken Soup for the Country Soul, which are all mm-hmm. stories about country music. And because we didn't say country music instead of country, um, people didn't really get it. And so we, the book didn't do as well as it should have done. So I think it's really important to be very specific about what you're offering people in your life. That's interesting. Now, you being one of the busiest guys I know from coaching, lecturing, writing, filming, how do you find a healthy balance in your life? Do you meditate, do yoga, acupuncture? How do you unplug? All of that. I do I meditate, I do yoga, I get chiropractic care, I get rolfing, I get massages. My wife and I take a month off every year. Uh, last two years, we took May off in Maui. We rented a house. And this year, we're going in February coming up, we're going to India for the whole month to a uh, Ayurvedic clinic, where it's a guy named Dr. Pankash Naram, who takes your pulse and within about two minutes tells you everything you need to know about what's going on in your body. And wow. he's become a friend of mine. I met him in, in Mumbai when I was lecturing there, and now he stayed at my house and uh, become really good friends. He said, if you come to Mumbai, go to my clinic for a month, I will guarantee you'll have 15 extra years of life. And I said, for a month, for 15 years, that's a, that's a deal you can't turn down. And what's fascinating about this, there's a guy that I know who's a, a, a famous um, speaker, I won't mention his name, but he, um, a friend of mine was trying to get him to uh, see Dr. Naram, and he kept saying, no, I don't have time, no, I don't have time, no, I don't have time, which is another excuse a lot of people have. And finally, my friend said, well, will you give him five minutes? And the beauty of Dr. Naram, he can take your pulses in about three minutes and tell you everything going on. So he meets this guy in a hotel lobby, and he takes his pulse, and he says, "Um, you have um, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, you have six weeks to live, and your left arm doesn't work. And just that morning, he had been to a traditional MD in America who told him he had ALS, he had six weeks to live, better clean up his affairs, and um, his left arm was basically non-functional at that time. Wow. He went to India for seven weeks. That was 17 years ago. He's fine. He's fine now? Yep. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, this yeah. Guy's, he's a miracle worker. And, and you know, he, he, he literally is in the same lineage of healers as uh, Buddha's doctor the doctor that Buddha had. He's a, he's a certified MD, and he also has been trained. His teacher is 115 years old, 
and I'm going to meet him when I'm in India. That's right. I remember you, you were the first person to introduce me to positive affirmations, you know, speaking it as if it's happened and so forth. And uh, I don't know, what's your feeling now that, that maybe it's the water in our body that's actually, you know, can you tell somebody you're awful, I hate you, I don't love you, and they've done that to water and it shows it's a negative crystal and they've done it to plants and they wither. Do you think it has to do with our water structure? Well, it definitely is the way it gets stored in the body. In other words, all energy gets stored in the body in, as patterns. And every cell in the body is containing that pattern. In other words, everything in the universe is energy. What makes the desk look different than my computer or different from me looking different from you is that we have different patterns that are holding all that energy in place. And so one of the places it gets held is in the water. And when you think of the body as anywhere from 70 to 80% water, depending on how hydrated you are, yeah. uh, when, when the body has crystalline structures that are negative in, in their patterning, uh, that is very toxic to the, the human being. And so obviously the positive thoughts restructure the water in your body. We know that from the work of Dr. Masaru Emoto in Japan, and that's been validated by some other people since then. Uh, people can go online and look at, uh, you know, Dr. Emoto and look at for, you know, water and just do that. And you'll see these water crystals. You say, I hate you. And you get these very negative, blobby, blackish, you know, crystals that form with the water. You say, I love you, and it forms these beautiful snowflakes. There's, there's harmony in, in, in that. So, and also the music you listen to, heavy metal makes these very ugly structures and, mm -hmm. you know, and classical music and, you know, love songs, et cetera, make another more beautiful uh, diagram. So basically, yes, very important. The thoughts you think are affecting your body and water is one of the ways it's doing that. Yeah, I know. I do, I do affirmations as if it's happened. You know, I am a best-selling author. I am going to change life today at my office. Is that still mm -hmm. the best way to do that? As if it's happened or what you wish it will happen? No, I, I would say, you know, I am, what I do, I like to have a feeling word in there. I am joyfully, you know, seeing my 100th client. I am joyfully earning $1 million a year. I'm happily celebrating having sold my millionth book. Interesting piece of research I read this morning was they were doing research on affirmations affecting children's, uh, of, of, uh, what should you say, success on test taking in terms of math. And what they found is if the child said, I am good at math, it didn't improve their math scores. But they said, I um, am committing myself to doing the best I can in math, and their math scores will go up. So I thought that was interesting, affirming effort as, a, as well as affirming just the final goal. Because we talk about goals, we want to, you know, let's say we're 220 pounds, we want to weigh 185. Uh, that's a, that's a, a, a results goal. But we also need a process goal, you know, which is I am joyfully exercising for a minimum of an hour, four days a week, that kind of thing. So you have a process by which you're going to get to. So it's, a, it's an extension of effort to get to where you want to go, as well as just visualizing or affirming the, uh, the final result. Wow, awesome. And the minute we have left, there's anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners we didn't cover, perhaps how they can connect with you and all the amazing resources you offer? Sure. Basically, go to my website, which is jackcanfield.com, and there's a free 10-day success challenge you can do. We send you a, a principle a day that you integrate into your life. And um, I, one guy went from making no money to a million dollars in one year just applying those 10 principles. And get a copy of my book, The Success Principles, at Amazon.com. I would recommend everybody do that. Yeah, 
So what I time just flew by before we close and the success principles, you talk about the importance of having a mentor and I am blessed to call you mine. My book, Food Sanity, would not have become a number one national bestseller had it not been for the wonderful advice that I received from you. From the theme to the title, your insight took me to an entirely new level. So I want to thank you for inspiring me and I wish you the best success in all your endeavors. Thank you very much. Back at you. To learn more, you can go to jackcansville.com and be sure and sign up for Jack's email list so you can stay up to date with all the latest happenings, including opportunities to hear him speak. He also offers some great online resources to help you catapult your life to a new level. And be sure and get your copy of the Success Principles, how to go from where you are to where you want to be. You can follow Jack on Twitter at Jack Canfield. On Instagram, he's at Jack Canfield underscore official. And on Facebook, you can find him at Jack Canfield Fan. For my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Jack share something today that would benefit someone you know, I'm sure you did, send them a link to this podcast, available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com, and peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.